Welcome to One Heart, One Mind, a podcast of the Nampa, Idaho South Stake to inspire and give hope in our efforts to build Zion. And now your host, Kim Keller. Welcome once again to the One Heart, One Mind Nampa podcast. My name is Kim Keller and I am hosting today and super excited to be with Rex and Kayla Christensen. Welcome to our podcast today, folks. Thanks. Yeah, glad to have you here. Yeah. Rex and Kayla are members of the 37th Ward in the Nampa, Idaho South Stake. So glad that you're here. Now, Rex, you're from Greenleaf. Kayla, you're from CUNA. Yep. But you guys did not meet while here in the Treasure Valley. I understand you met at BYU-Idaho. Is that correct? We did. Yep. 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 We grew up. We had all the same friends, and we didn't meet until we went to school. We went to different schools, of course, but we had a lot of in-common friends. Awesome. So now, Rex, you graduated in international business, Kayla, in early childhood education and special education. Mm -hmm. And here's the real real key to our story today is you have three kids all under the age of three. Yep. Well, the oldest just turned four, just barely. Okay. All right. Very short amount of time. That's amazing. Now, how long have you been married? We just celebrated 10 years this month. 10 years. Okay. Wow. Yeah, that's great. Okay. <laughs> you guys. <laughs> Good. Well, we want to hear a little bit about uh, about motherhood and fatherhood and kind of obviously there is a, a time delay from when you were married and then when you start having children. And I think that that's what we want to kind of explore today is what was that like for you and what did you learn from that experience? So tell us... Uh, what did you two imagine that motherhood and fatherhood would be like when you were first married? We laugh now because we didn't think too much about it. We just thought it would follow the same fashion as everybody else. So we were in college. We were both sophomores in college when we got married. And so we wanted to finish our schooling and then eventually get settled and start our family. And we thought it would happen just like that. Just perfect. And it didn't quite work out that way. But... We had talked about it. I, of course, love kids. That's what I studied in school and um, was anxious to be a mom, but I did. My degree was important to me, and I wanted to be married for a little while before trying to have kids. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. Same thing here. We thought that everything was just going to go routine. It's we'd seen both our parents and a lot of other people just grow their families, and and we had good desires that we wanted to finish school and then we were going to start our family and but it didn't work out that way. Was that a stressful time for you? It, it turned out to be quite stressful. I think at first we were kind of like, eh, not a big deal. We bought a house and got started in our careers and that was fun. I started teaching school and I don't think we were too worried about it until we had, we had a lot of fun in college. We had a lot of um, friends that were our age that had just gotten married. And so everybody was kind of in the same stage. And then all of a sudden it was like we were standing still and everybody was starting to grow their families. And it was kind of weird. It was like, where do we, where do we fit almost now? Like we were just in this strange transition time and, and it started to go on for longer and longer. And it definitely got stressful. Got stressful, but. Also, we're able to grow as a couple during those times as well. It's like we took a lot of neat trips together. We um, went on a lot of yeah. good adventures during Looking that time. Looking back now, it's yeah. interesting to see how the Lord was able to bless us 
through those times because like Rex for a little while right out of college had a job working for the airport and so we were able to travel for very very cheap while we were doing fertility things and stuff and so that was fun and we were able to do a lot of things that we wouldn't otherwise probably have done so isn't that interesting that life is so much that way we have a plan how we think it's supposed to go mm-hmm. and our stresses or the things that, that stop or thwart our plan we take it uh, in a, such a deep way where others observing us may not think it's such a big deal. Did, did you ever experience that? Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, people around us were probably a lot more calm about it than than we uh, were. People probably weren't thinking too much. Oh, just they want to start their jobs or they want to do this or that when we are like, ah, we feel like we just don't fit. We, this is not the plan. So... Yeah, things we thought things were just gonna go according to plan, but yeah, yeah, they just didn't. Did you feel like people were judging you sometimes? Sometimes, yeah. yeah. It, there's definitely a culture, especially in the church, and there's like kind of a timeline that you do things, and so there were different comments made throughout time that were um, judgmental or hard to take. I guess you could say. And a lot of people just that question all the time of when are you going to have a family? When are you going to have kids? And and sometimes you don't want to elaborate and tell people, well, like we're trying. Things aren't working out. Like that's something you don't want to share with just everybody. But a lot of people do ask that question. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, you can see why. But at the same time, what advice would you give to people who maybe they're observing a younger couple and it's been a while since they've been married, should they just not say anything? Or is there what? I feel like it's more appropriate to not say anything. You said something earlier today that I thought was really good, like just acknowledging kind of, oh, you're making your, you're in your career, or talking about other things, I guess. But I can't remember exactly how you said it earlier today, but it was good. Neither can Rex, I. Because <laughs> Rex was talking about how people do say that and what advice we would give to people. and. And I don't know, but it can be a very sensitive topic. And I think that if they're not sharing it openly, then probably just don't ask. Yeah. Thank so. you. Yeah. <laughs> Good. I think it's important to talk about about yeah. that. Thank you for sharing those thoughts. Now, how many how many kids were you were you planning to have in your ideal ideal family? Did you have a, a number in mind, or did you just? I don't think either of us wanted a huge family. I mean, we both come from families of three. We really liked that number. We never really put a number on the table. Um, and yeah, but a smaller family, not a, we weren't like feeling like, oh man, we wanted eight kids and this is taking forever. So yep. Yeah, we just wanted, we just wanted kids. Yeah. That's didn't know the number and just wanted kids. So after a time, things aren't going according to the Christensen household family plan. <laughs> yeah. And so what, what happened next? So then we started to go to the fertility center and um, everything, we just were checked off the list as everything should work out fine for you guys, but it wasn't. And so we started into like the smallest treatments and worked our way up and um the smallest treatments are like Clomid, you take a pill, and then you move on to like what's called IUIs, and we did three of those, and that was all out of pocket. It can get really expensive, so that was also stressful. Mm -hmm. And then after we did the three IUIs, we're like, well, we don't know where to go from here, and the doctors are like, well, we don't know why it didn't work. Like, we really don't have an explanation for you guys. So we took a break, we bought our house, and then Rex ended up getting a job 
in his career path because his previous job working for the airport wasn't quite in his career path. And come to find out his job actually covered some fertility treatments. So that was really nice because that's like unheard of. That does not happen. So we felt very fortunate and we felt like the Lord was telling us that that was the way we should go. And so as soon as there was kind of a break in my school schedule, right around Christmas time, we started to do IVF. And Rex's brother had had to do IVF, so we were a little bit familiar with the process, but it's still a super overwhelming process. I mean, you get this big box in the mail, there's all of these drugs and all these shots that you're going to have to give yourself. And I originally was deciding to go to school to be a nurse or a school teacher. My parents make fun of that now because I definitely probably couldn't have been a nurse. (laughs) And so the fact that I had to give myself all these shots was super intimidating. Anyways, we did it. And I was driving back and forth. I worked in small town Melba, Idaho at the time. And the only fertility clinic was in downtown Boise. And so I was driving back and forth. I would leave halfway through the day, go to my appointments because there's many, many appointments. It's a big deal for about two weeks. And everything was just going perfect. They're like, this is definitely going to work for you guys. You're the, what would they The kind of prime candidates. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so... I didn't think too much of it. And the last day you go for, you do a retrieval and then they transfer the embryos back in. I don't know if people are familiar with the process, but um, after they remove the eggs, then the embryos grow for three to five days and they give you reports and then they transfer them back into your body. And the day I got into my car to go have the transfer done, they called me and said, "Um, you don't need to come because all of the embryos are gone. They didn't, none of them survived which is like really rare. And we're like, oh, come on. Like, why are all these weird, just random things happening with no explanation? So that one was a bust, super sad. Um, We'd never really, we'd heard of a few people doing IVF and it always worked. So it was just this weird place again to be this couple that it didn't work. And so we decided to take a little break again. You got to have those breaks in between when you're doing fertility and pursuing a family or you'll just go crazy. I probably already was crazy from all the medicine. (laughs) It's a lot of hormones bumping through your body. Rex is kind of nodding and kind of shaking his head. So I'm not sure really how he's taking that. Well, just it is so much that because we didn't understand exactly what the infertility (laughs) journey was going to to us and then just seeing that scene just especially as a husband seeing that your wife has to go through all this and then she has to travel from her job clear over to do all the um appointments and then plus everything she had to do to her body and it's like ah why do we have to do this why are we having to go through this and why is my wife having to to go through all this yeah So. so there was a lot of whys and we took some time to just reassess and make sure that that's where we were supposed to be. But um, like I think I had mentioned previously, the insurance did cover two tries. And so we thought, well, we better get back at it and try again. But this time, maybe I was too stressed. Maybe that was the problem. So we were going to try during summer break when I wasn't working. And that was just my main focus. And so we did IVF again. And you can decide to transfer on day three or day five. And we decided to transfer on day three just because of what had happened last time. There was nothing to transfer. And that went against the doctor's protocol. They wanted to go on day five. But But we had prayed about it and we just decided that that's what we wanted to try. And good thing we did because no embryos made it the next time either. 
and our transfer didn't end up working, but at least we had tried. So after that, I was done, done with all the hormones. We were at, that was two years at this point of just like one after another fertility treatments. And so we, um, I was like, I am not doing one more thing. And we were out of tries with his insurance and out of pocket and our IVF is quite a lot. And we had just bought our house and we didn't have the funds to do it again. And so, and the doctors were encouraging us to do some things that, um, we really needed to think about if we agreed with or not. So we didn't do that. And that was in uh, the summer of 2016 yes. because that at the end of that year, I ended up getting pregnant and um, we ended up losing the baby, like just barely. We were almost out of the first trimester mm-hmm. and we lost it. And so we had already been talking about adoption. And so we had been going to the temple a lot through this process. And Rex had always talked about adoption. He had it always been on the table for him. And for me, it was kind of like I had had not terrible experiences with it, but I hadn't had super positive experiences. He had a lot of adoption in his family. And so every time he would put it on the table, it was like, I don't know. I don't know if we should do that. And so we made that our main focus, especially after that miscarriage was like, what, what are we supposed to be doing and put that back on the table? And it was kind of amazing how quick the answer came Mm -hmm. at that point. Yeah. After we, we had gone to the temple, um, with that specific question is adoption, the path for us. And we went with that and we both were got out walking to our car and, it was kind of just that feeling that the spirit does to you. And we just knew that that, that adoption was the path that we were supposed to be on. Yeah. That was the clear path because we had tried everything else with infertility. And I don't like ever like to look at it as a, a plan B yeah. because now it would be my plan A. Now that I have my little boy, it would be such a, and a thing, but it, I do think it, it took us, we had to do that to be able to make that decision mm-hmm. and to be on the timeline that we were. So then you adopted. So we, yeah, it took, so there is mountains of paperwork. So we dove into that. We had no clue where to start. We, I, I'm a great researcher, but all my research at this point had been on fertility treatments mm-hmm. and what to do with that. And so once we switched gears to adoption, it was a whole nother realm of research. And LDS Family Services, um, they do not do adoptions anymore. They have different supports that they give, but they don't facilitate anymore. And so we kind of went to them and they started us off just... They just put us just here. Here's some numbers that you can call. And also we had posted our profile on their website, so they still allowed that to happen, that um, birth mothers could mm. still go on the website to choose, mm. um, kind of just from a pool of people who are looking to adopt. And they gave us information on that, and they gave us the numbers of, what was it, the of social workers who could start putting you in the right path for adoption. And so we didn't really know what to do, so we just... Yeah. Kind of went in blind and just started just started somewhere. Mm-hmm. So we just made a phone call 
to the social worker and kind of, uh, we're not sure what we're doing, but this is, we'd like to just get going with adoption. And so, but then it was amazing yeah. how quickly things came together. So, like I said, like June of 2016, our last IVF had failed somewhere in there in the fall. We learned that we were supposed to be adopting, that we really felt like that's what Heavenly Father wanted for us. And then I had my miscarriage right after that. And I feel like that's what like fueled, like I decided that that mountain of paperwork that we needed to do to adopt, I did it like all during my Christmas break of school and somehow got it all done which is kind of crazy. So we decided we would try privately first. And then um, that was just taking a while. And I have, we have family friends who have an agency. And so we decided to call them up and you have to create a book to present to families. And so we um, presented our book. Maybe I'm getting ahead of our questions. I don't know, but. Hey, we're doing great. Okay. would that, would that be a fun book to read? Is it like... Uh, so it's your family. You're yeah. basically, it's you're putting yourself in your best light. It's all pretty about... your adoption resume. Yeah. yeah. Pretty much. Mm-hmm. So that the birth mothers will choose you. Did you keep that book? Yeah. Yep. yep. We still have it. So um, put my heart and soul into that I bet book. you did. Yeah. And a lot of people do. I mean, they yeah. talk about it. And it's like this most precious book that you're like, I you're just trying to... And that was a hard part about adoption too, is you're always trying to prove yourself. There were, so once we started that paperwork and got with the agency, you have to take a series of classes. And that was a little bit hard for us too, because um, the classes are like, what were they like? Just on how to be, are you sure you're a good parent? Are you sure you have the potential for this? And that was kind of another hit because we felt like we would be great. And there's people out there that don't even want children and you hate to think that way but when you have when you're so down like that that's the feeling you get and so it was like it's, it's, it almost makes you wonder why they don't have those why every parent isn't required to say <laughs> yeah. and we said that a lot like through these classes we're like this is so painful of course we want to we're going through all of this effort yeah and so but we took all the classes all the credit hours that you have to take and got our book ready and then we we're all done in January and we were kind of thumbing over. So they'll send you birth mom information and you can decide if you would like to be presented to that birth mom. And so we passed on quite a a few during that first month. And then our first one that we presented to came end of, end of January. Uh, And I, we decided we wanted to present our book. And I remember we were walking into a basketball game and this will play into it later, but and I had called the lady and she says, great, we'll present your book. You'll know in a few weeks what the birth mother has chosen. It usually takes them a few weeks to decide on a family. And so, okay, no problem. And we hang up the phone and walk into the game. And as we're walking out, she's calling me again. And she's like, you're never going to believe this. It's the craziest thing. I've never had this happen, but the birth mom has already chosen you. She is certain that it's it's you guys that's meant to adopt her baby. Are you willing. So at that point, that birth mom was due in March and it was the end of January, or she was due in April. April. It was the end of January. Wow. So it was going to be really fast. And so we're like, what are we? And that was the year, if you're local to the Boise area, it was like Snowmageddon. Like there was just so much snow. And I remember we were like, I hadn't wanted to set up a nursery just because of everything that had happened. So even when we said we were adopting, it was like, 
you just didn't want to get your hopes up for mm-hmm. anything. So we decided, though, if he was coming in six weeks, we probably should get a crib or something. And so we had found a crib, and I remember it was a snowy night. We went and got it off of Marketplace or Craigslist, something like that, and brought it home, put it in the room, shut the door. Like, I didn't want to do anything else because I didn't want to jinx it. Mm. So, um, yeah. Did you was... know that you were going to have a boy? Was that already? Yes. Yeah. So that was part of the... Um, usually they will have a gender when they mm-hmm. show you the birth mom's profile if she has found out. So we knew it was a baby boy. And we knew he was coming in April. And so we spent the next few weeks just kind of on the edge of our seats, hoping oh, yeah. things were going to work out. And then fast forward to my, I, everything is on a teacher timeline because it was like any break that I had, we were doing baby things. Yeah, because you were teaching at the time. Yeah, because mm-hmm. I was teaching and it was a super busy time. I, I... Um, working in small towns as a teacher, everybody does everything. So I was working a lot of hours. So that's how our timeline goes. But it was spring break and I got a phone call. I was cleaning the house, I guess, nesting. I don't know. You can call it that when you're adopting. But, um, and she called and said, your baby's coming early. You need to get on a plane. So I hopped on a plane and Rex started driving after he dropped me off at the airport. Super expensive plane ticket, trying to get oh. there because I was invited to be there for the birth. Oh my goodness. And um, Rex started driving with all of our things because we didn't know how long we'd be there. Mm-hmm. And by the time I landed, so just the flight from Boise to Salt Lake City, um, they were asking if I wanted pictures of the baby. So he made a very quick entrance. And then I hopped off the plane just to get stuck in rush hour traffic in the caseworker's car. So that was kind of crazy. <laughs> just There was always something. Mm-hmm. And um, But he was here, and it was great. And in Utah, you can sign papers um, after 24 hours. So that's why a lot of adoptions take place in Utah. Mm. And that was a hard time for us. He was actually a little bit earlier than we had thought. So he went to the NICU. And birth mom got to stay a little bit longer. And that was a hard but also kind of spiritual experience with her during that time and helping her. You know, I was a new mom, but I was also trying to comfort her and be there for her. And that was a anybody who's been through adoption, that transition time is really, really tough. And then add the NICU on top of it. And so you spent a time, a fair amount of time with her while you were mm-hmm. there with the yep. birth mom? And which was great. And mm-hmm. we have a semi-open adoption so it was good to get to know her um but just emotions were really high so that was a a beautiful but hard time in our it was very hard and so we he stayed in the NICU for three weeks oh my so what we thought was just going to be we're going to be in Utah for a few days and then that transitioned into a few weeks and it actually worked out with my work that I was able to stay down there the rest of the time and happened to be that her brother lived 10 minutes away from the hospital and it kind of things worked out that way that we were the accommodations were there that we could actually stay there for that full time and mm. it's very tiring but it was yeah it was a great time that's what it, that's what it is to become new parents yeah yep. just get right? tired it yeah. was yep. yeah yep. and so <laughs> but it was great and it was just it's you know hindsight looking back but the lord there was blessings all along the way i mean what are the chances that the baby was born 10 minutes from where my brother lived and that we could stay with him instead of racking up hotel expenses on top of everything else. But yeah. what'd you name your boy? So his name is Tice. Tice. And he just turned four. And he is the most amazing little boy. 
He really is. He's just got so much personality. He's the best. The twins are super great. So, but he's the best thing that ever happened to us. He's just so wonderful. All Anywhere three of our we kids. Go, but... And anyone who talks to him say that he's the life of the party he's wherever that. and yeah he's and i just remember that first year after bringing him home it was like everything was perfect like just everything we had worked for for five years like it had all come together he was a really easy baby i mean as far as babies go or maybe i was just so happy that it, none of it mattered but in comparison <laughs> to the twins he was a really easy baby and we were just it was just such a great first year like it just everything just felt so peaceful and After so great. The five years that you'd had, yeah, it probably felt really. Mm-hmm. And really I feel worked. like you know when you struggle for so long with infertility and stuff, you still have like the trials of motherhood. But I think you get the gift of looking at it differently. Mm-hmm. You look at the different trials that come with motherhood as differently because for so for a while, you experienced what life was like without children when you wanted them so badly. You wanted mm-hmm. every experience of motherhood good or bad you wanted all of it mm-hmm. so um, so now now twins i i think a question that we would want to ask is was that done through fertility or, or yeah so you would think and it kind of was well we figured once we had tice we were like you know we would like a sibling for him and we wanted to pursue adoption again i was still so done with fertility treatments at that <laughs> point and we loved adoption i mean it was there were stressful parts, just like bringing any, a baby in the world any other way, but it was great. And so we were gearing up for a second adoption. And that takes, you have to do, um, both of us have to go to the doctor. You have to get a physical. And so when I had gone to the doctor, the doctor said, I know this is off the table for you guys. This was a new doctor I was seeing. Wasn't really a fertility specialist doctor, just a doctor I had picked. And she said, but I have something that I really feel like would work for you guys. And I'm like, mm-mm, we've done it all. <laughs> Nothing works. And um, she's like, no, I really think. And the, she described it to me, what she wanted to do, and it was back to square one, just taking like a, for anybody who knows about fertility, like Clomid, that's like what they start you off on if you're having any troubles at all. It's just a pill you take that helps with like ovulation. And so it was basically that, just an off-brand of that. And then a few other things added on. And so I said, I don't think so. Just give me my physical that I need for adoption, but I'll talk to Rex and I'll let you know. And so I came home, talked to Rex, and he was like, well, it's kind of weird that she would say that. Let's just maybe try it. And I said, okay, but she's getting a timeline. Like, it's two months, and if it doesn't work, then we're fine. We're fine. And it worked. So that was pretty crazy. Mm -hmm. And um, the twins were on the way. We were so anxious, though. Like, that was the most nerve-wracking, probably even more stressful than the... I mean, we had lost... um, I had another miscarriage in between when we adopted Tice and when we got pregnant. And so just we had had so much. And so thinking that this would work, neither of us really thought it would work. I remember, like, I had to wait. It was over Christmas, so I had to wait a really long time. Or usually, if I got pregnant, they'd get me right in for an ultrasound. And we had to wait what felt like forever. I don't remember how long because it was over Christmas. And so when I finally got to go in, I was just a nervous wreck. And then the lady flipped on the screen and we searched for the heartbeat and she found two. And she said, certainly I'm not the first one to tell you that you're having twins. 
And Rex was wrestling one-year-old Tice at the time, and I'm pretty sure we had to pick him up off the floor. (laughs) (laughs) That's the only word that I heard was, was, he was making a lot of noise, and I just heard twins. That's the only (laughs) word I wasn't even listening, but I heard twins, and I just stopped and looked back, and, oh, really? Okay. (laughs) It's kind of just that unexplainable feeling that it's like, just don't know what to think. Yeah. And so I feel like we continued to hold our breath. Well, I know we did at every single appointment from there on out and just couldn't believe that 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 was happening, too. So it seemed extra crazy. Wow. And what uh, boys, girls, a boy and a girl, boy and a girl. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep. Kenna and Ridge. Kenna and Ridge. Mm -hmm. So. So just like that, two boys and a girl. I know. Isn't (laughs) that crazy? So then. We, we walk into places all the time and, well, that escalated quickly because it's places yeah. where we just were, you know, like the county fair. A year prior, we were there all by ourselves. And then it was like, bam, three kids were pushing this triple <laughs> stroller. And it's just amazing to look back and like it, all the things I could tell my past self, you know, like. Yeah. What would you tell your just past self? hang on, keep working hard. I do believe that the Lord, like recognizes hard work and effort and i don't think everybody's story will end like ours but i think that um i don't know i'm just looking back at my bed keep working hard keep trying one thing that i i really liked this talk by president Iring when we were going through our infertility it was given towards the beginning of our infertility journey and one of the quotes in there he was at a funeral and um a lady had been she had lost a child and she had her second child, and um, she had named the little girl Joy. And she said her name was Joy because Joy always follows sorrow. Mm-hmm. And I, like, held on to that quote. I just I remember hearing it. It, like, jumped out to me. And so our little girl is actually Kenna Joy um, because that's what I would tell, I guess, my past self is that Joy does follow sorrow. Like, no matter how hard it gets, eventually there will be Joy. But you don't know how the Lord's going to... No. Get that because, it, like you said before, it's not everybody's story, right? No. There are there are many who have gone through what you went through and either just didn't work out or mm-hmm. they're still waiting. What what are thoughts that you have on that? I I would say, um, referencing another talk on that by Jeffrey R. Holland um, about let's see, it's also a Mormon message, but just about you keep going. You, you just got to keep on walking. You just got to keep on going, keep on trying. And that there is hope and happiness along the way. And none of us know when that happiness is going to come. Like during our journey, when we were trying so hard to have children, we didn't know when kind of that part of our happiness was going to come. It's something that we wanted so much. But as we went through it and as where we're at now, we can see how the Lord was molding us, was helping there us was a, during that time. a time where I just thought, well, I'm a teacher. I get to influence children this way. And I, if that's what I get in this life, then I was like trying to come to terms with that because that was a very joyful thing to be a teacher. Mm-hmm. And, um, of course I wanted children of my own. And I've since come to realize that 
I know a lot of people who have struggled with infertility, and if you want to raise a child, it may not be biological, but there are many ways to raise a child and for a child to come to you. And I just think if you really want it, you can mostly find a way. I mean, there's lots of foster care opportunities. We had looked into that and Mm -hmm. adoption, and it's never, ever easy. That's for sure. It's never easy. And none of the decisions that come with it are easy either. But I do think that hard work brings extraordinary things. And It may not be what you think it's going to be. I think much of what you've talked about tonight is none of this is how you planned it to be. No. And even as you look back now, it sounds like you're like, this is not how we thought it was going to end up. And, eh, and life is still so full of more new things that you don't know mm-hmm. at this point. None of us, none of us do. I, I, I'm imagining there was a moment where you just kind of had resigned and said, this is how it's going to be. Did you ever have moments like that? Oh yeah. yeah. Especially after our second miscarriage, I feel like I was just, that was at the point where I was like, I'm a teacher. I love being a teacher and I am tired of putting my body through all this. I'm mm-hmm. tired of putting my emotions through all this. And I mean, some people go farther and experience failed adoptions. I'm thankful that we didn't have to do that. But um, yes, there was a point where it was like, okay, I'm waving the white flag. Like, I feel like I... Did you feel there was still um, a possibility in your life for hope and peace? Yes. And I I think that's a message we... I think sometimes I had to work to get there, though. I mean, there was definitely rock bottoms. (laughs) Like, I remember my mom picking me up one time. I... Rex would go to work and I think I just had the second miscarriage and she took me for a treat. She just had a little break in her day. And I remember just being so down. Like I just don't even, mom, I don't think there's hope. I don't think we're going to have a family and that's something I'm just going to have to wrap my head around. Like, and she, um, was so good about it. I, I really appreciated people. I think with all trials and we learn, but People who listen and don't just don't offer all of the advice in the world or tell you that, okay, this is what you need to do next. Or um, she just listened to me and let me be mad and let me be in that place for a little while. And I, I think that was so helpful to me was somebody just letting me be mad and say, you know what? Yeah, this stinks. This stinks what you're going through. And, and I'm sorry. And kind of looking back at it now and looking at the blessings now um, that it took us a while to, to grow our family. But as I said before, we were able to grow as a couple. And if I could give advice to people who would be the husbands and fathers out there during that time, there was a lot of times where I didn't have any clue how to console Kayla. I, because I mean, when going through that process, the yes, it's hard for both the man, the man and the woman, but especially hard for the wife and the mother going through that. And so um, sometimes you don't know what to say at all. It's like, are we ever going to have children? Are we ever going to get through this? And like sometimes you just don't know what to do, but to continue to support each other. And I think during that time, we were able to grow as a couple. And I think that has helped us in being able to parent our children now. What did he do right? 
so that us the rest of us yeah. men out there know how to because I hear what you're saying, Rex. If when your wife is is in places that are dark and sad, you as a husband, we don't know what to do. And it's it's hard to find that, you know, that that, that what you're supposed to do. What 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 did he do right? Um I sometimes found it annoying at the time, but his optimism never, ever broke. I'm sure you felt sometimes like things were maybe not going to work out or you probably felt some of the same things as I did, but his optimism was always there. He was a constant cheerleader, and I think that was super great. And some of the other people... It annoyed I, you, but yeah. but was it helpful? Yes, in okay. the end, it was super helpful. And, and I think it just annoyed me in the moment because it was like, I am so mad, like just... Be yeah. a little bit mad with me, but looking back, I needed that. I needed somebody to say, "Nope, there's all these options. Let's keep going. Let's keep, let's keep looking." And he also didn't exclude himself from things too. As as much as he could, he was there for appointments and and he knew the medicine protocol. I I didn't let him give me my shots, but <laughs> but he was in the know, and that was super helpful too. He wasn't like, "Oh, this is your thing," like. You have to do most of it. He he knew about it, and he was right there beside me asking questions to the doctors. And and actually, for adoption, he made the first call because I was just kind of like a little bit fried still. And, yeah. and that was something he volunteered to do. And he, along the way, would look for things and volunteer to do them as he saw that he could. And I remember the adoption, um, the caseworker that came to our home, she was like, I think that's one of the first men that has called me to get the ball rolling. And and so I thought that was super great of him to call and and get that scheduled and get some of those things out of the way. Well, your story is 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 great. Thank you. It's real. Um, it's got heartache. It's got joy. Um, and it has hope. Um, as we close, any final thoughts that you could share with our listeners about about the hope? and uh and trials yeah i sometimes i've heard a lot of people talk about it but with infertility sometimes you have a little bit of guilt like especially after we got tice and that went so smoothly and then after i had my twins there's a lot of guilt for like the people who are maybe left behind or who their journey takes longer but um as i've like reflected on that i just think that there is always hope and um I think that we can't compare ourselves to others and the stories that others have. Like it's, I use so many stories as stepping stones and building blocks, but not a single one of them was the same. Like I loved hearing other people's stories, but you really just have to communicate with the Lord and he, he has a plan for you, whatever that is. And and it will hopefully be perfect for you in the end. And, um, I don't know. Yeah. And um, as I was saying before about just keep going, keep trying, um, you don't have to do that in big steps. The Lord knows each person individually. He knows why maybe you're stopping something or continuing with something or whatever it is. And But if at all possible, just even if it's the tiniest of tiny steps that you can just go, the Lord sees your effort. He knows exactly what you're going through. He understands why maybe you're going at a certain speed doing something. Um, but just keep going and 
try your hardest to keep trusting in God. And I think if you if you really get to feeling like you're unseen and you're unheard, because it does get that way, and I'm sure not just with this trial, but with many other trials, I just think that you can pray, like, today I need to see that you're there. I need to see that, that there is hope. I need just something. And I promise, I, every time it seemed like there was something, and you have to be looking for it, but if you ask, then I think the Lord will put his hand there and, and help you to see that he's still there, even when it's really hard. Well, so appreciate you guys coming, sharing your story. I know there's three kids at home waiting for you to get home. Yeah. Well, they're with Grandma. <laughs> okay, they're getting right. sugared up on cookies and things. So I don't know if they're too anxious. <laughs> well, thank you so much and uh, appreciate your time with us tonight. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to One Heart, One Mind, Nampa. Credit is given to Kim Keller, who oversees the podcast, both Lindy Bauer and Kim Keller, who are our hosts, Casey Maddox, the project director and announcer, Rachel Bauer, who is our site director. Likewise, thanks also to Kristen Pankeri, our project manager, John Freeman, our communications coordinator, Dave Fitzin, the podcast recorder, Don Recker, our digital platform manager, Rich Petrie and DJ Holiday for final edits and Jesus Gomez for IT oversight. Thank you for listening to One Heart, One Mind. We hope that you have felt inspiration and hope in moving towards Zion. As always, thank you and may the Lord bless you.